Welcome to another distinct nostalgia by MIM. More than a podcast. A big interview now on Distinct Nostalgia as we meet one of the legends of Coronation Street. He and his on-screen family became firm favourites not long after arriving in 1989. We've already interviewed one of his on-screen sons and the other one is still in the show. That's when he's not eating weird things in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. We are, of course, talking about Charlie Lawson, who played Jim MacDonald. Ashley's been chatting to Charlie about his long career in and out of Coronation Street in this special interview for Distinct Nostalgia. So another Distinct Nostalgia, and I'm delighted uh, that we are welcoming Charlie Lawson. Um, I suppose, really, we, we have to call you a, a legend or a legend, don't we, when it comes to Coronation Street, because uh, <laughs> you sort of... Uh, I know I know you were, you were there for 11 years and you came back several times, but... You know, in terms of Coronation Street sort of history, you're one of the your character's one of the big ones, and they haven't killed you off. You've been back a few times; they've still not killed you off, have they? You know, apparently. Uh, anyway, le- hello, listeners. How are you doing? Um, Ashley, nice to speak to you. So, um, apparently, somebody told me last year that I have the record for the most returns playing the same character in the history of something or other. <laughs> and that is simply down to the fact that, um, and you know, we'll touch on it later, no doubt, that um, when I left um, six months before, well, I had a chat with the then producer and I said, look, the writers are getting bored with me and I'm getting bored with them. And if I stay here, it's a good story and Jim will get killed off. So why don't we just shake hands and uh, she said, well, give it another six months, Charlie. Let's see what we come up with. And I said, well, you know, there's only one Liz McDonald. And quite frankly, Annie Holly, who played Gwen, bless her cotton socks. I said, it's not going to turn out to be a, a Jim and Liz. It's going to be, it's not going to work. And sure enough, it didn't. But, um, and that wasn't Annie's fault, for God's sake. You know, it was just that they were lost, I think, a bit without that. Burton Taylor relationship. Had I stuck to my guns and been an obstreperous arsehole, you know, I think probably um, he would not be here now to have made, I think it's seven returns or something ridiculous. So, you know, uh, fair play to them. I'm still on the go and I am aware talking, well, that's not out of school, it's common knowledge now, but um, a couple of years ago, um, Ian saved the character's bacon because I think it was felt that um, um, it would be a good storyline. Um, you know, you could work a good storyline with with Steve, uh, Liz and Jim, and of course Jim uh, croaks it, and, and Ian kept the character alive. So uh, here I am, actually, who knows, you know? I'll be the last to know, the Sunday Mirror will be telling me or something. So, where, so just remind me, where where is he supposed to be now? Well, as far as I recall, and, and you'll know this, I'm, I, I'm enjoying very much the classics in the afternoons now. So God knows when I'll catch up with where we are now. But as far as I recall, uh, he left the cemetery with um, Hannah and, and uh, off screen, they returned to Australia. <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea, mate. 
They're probably down the road and already edge. That last storyline I thought was a bit bizarre. It all sounded a little bit, you know. Yeah, I know this is look, what happens has happened in soap in recent years where storylines become more and more bizarre. But how did you feel about that? It did it did all seem a little bit far fetched at times, didn't it? Well, look, you're being extremely polite. Um what happened was the 2018 or wherever it was, uh, I was working, I did a series at the BBC. And then after that, straight after that, I did a, a, a sort of a travelogue fun program. And after that, I agreed, Ian Rankin wanted me to play Rebus in the world premiere of Inspector Rebus, uh, his first play. And uh, the first time it was a sort of a three-dimensional Inspector John Rebus. So uh, I met with the producers and the directors and I agreed to play it. Now, meanwhile, the the powers that be in Coronation Street had decided that Jim was going to return for a long storyline, which is very nice. But as often happens in these cases, it is assumed that you're not working. And it is assumed that even if you are working, you'll drop everything and uh, and, and go and join Curry. And in normal circumstances, if one wasn't working, then, you know, with the storylines I get, then I'd bite their friggin' arm off. But um, I had said that I would do this and I really wanted to do um, play Rebus. And um, so when I informed them, they got very miffed and said, well, have you signed the contract? And I said, yeah, no, but I've shaken hands and, and uh, the money's very good and et cetera, et cetera. And um, unless you come up with something that's really going to tempt me, then then obviously my loyalties are with Ian Rankin and Rebus. And that's the way I work. Um, so the storyline that was to be say a year was condensed down to three months now the premise may have been slightly odd but and and i thought it was definitely not jim mcdonald doing that to elizabeth you know had we had time to explore the fact i think the full hit perhaps um hannah would have would have um would have had more sway or something. There may have been blackmail or something, but it was condensed right down. And I don't think they were able, not the writers, but I don't think they were able to explore the, the uh, possibilities, the full tilt, because I was committed to go and work. So that's what you got. Um, and we did our best, um, me and, um, you know, we, we did our best with what we had. And there were a couple of brilliant scenes. And I think I uh, love the graveyard stuff with Liz and, uh, there was a few other bits and pieces that we really enjoyed. And, um, yeah, so it was what it was. And, of course, um, you you did the Ian Rankin uh, Rebus, which uh, went all around the country, but you you had a bit of a health scare during that period as well. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Uh, yeah, I had a TIA in Edinburgh. I allowed myself, which is very unlike me, I've been doing this 41 years, and I'm as tough as old boots. The woman who was going to direct it out of Birmingham Rep, um, her husband, or she lost her husband about a week before rehearsal started, and um, so sadly she had to pull out. And uh, a guy took over, and um, it became clear from day one that he wouldn't have cast me as as Inspector Rebus. Fair enough. Uh, and the relationship just got worse from then on. Well, there wasn't a relationship basically; it was just um, me getting on. Well, it was 108 pages, and I was in 108 of them. And um, you know, uh, and then I stopped sleeping. Uh, and you can't you can't take on a part that size when you're when your head's screwed up. 
Um, it was a massive piece, and and I I was it, you know. <laughs> and so opening night in Edinburgh, uh, middle of the second half, we were friggin' rocking. The show was roaring, you know. And all of a sudden, I went deaf, and everybody turned blue on the stage. And the next thing I remember, I was in the wings, and um, you know, John, big John Stahl had taken me off. So blah, 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 off the hospital, um, off to get the scans. And, and uh, yeah, I'd had a, a – now, you'll have to look this up, Ashley, for God's sake, because it's Latin, you know, you know what medical terms are right, but it's basically a TIA, which is a mini stroke. And, you know, 20 minutes afterwards, I was fine, but I knew something serious had happened. So I took two shows off and then finished the, the rest of the tour. And um, it was an interesting time of my life because it affected me not physically in any way at all or mentally, but the, well, mentally it affected me. It affected my emotions and I literally could talk about it without getting upset for about six months. And for the first time in my life, I had to be, I, you know, I went to see my doctor and she said, um, right, go and see this person here. They are brilliant for, you know, a counselor effectively, but specifically for what happened to me. And, and that made the world a difference. And after that, after about a week, uh, I was absolutely fine, and, and God willing, I'm still here. And I, I've had, I, I have to take certain pills now for the rest of my life, uh, but I'm fighting fit. Uh, I've never been this fit really, and and, uh, and and I'm perfectly normal. Actually, I'm very very lucky. We'll be back after a quick break. But you still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me loading them up on? It, it only takes structure. And, and you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah, know what I mean. So, do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You know I mean, yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying, oh, yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah, yeah. Me, me, me. Yo, look, 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 look. We all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We gonna have this like. Me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this shit right now. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. I gotta lie, don't play with it. Take that shit serious. But it's you know, all these things are caused by all sorts of different things, and 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 stress does add to it. I mean, I I was um I've been working really hard this year. I, I was involved in a big. 10 part jazz series that we made with uh, Clive Myrie from, from BBC yeah. for Jazz FM. Big thing, a lot of work, lots of hours, lots of very late nights. Um, I've certainly pushed myself this year. And then there was one moment um, where I suddenly started going weird and delirious back in, I think it was uh, August time. And my partner wondered what the hell was going on and got me into hospital. Um, I was in hospital, sat in hospital bed. The doctors were talking to me, but I couldn't actually answer them. I knew what they were saying, but I couldn't bring myself to answer them. And, what was um, that, Ash? Well, it turned out that um, I'd had um, – basically, I, we didn't know straight away. They, they were investigating what it was, but I'd got some kind of infection. I'd had a um, – I'd, I'd been away working, doing lots of recording for a Radio 4 documentary in Wales – and I got a bit of sunburn, and also I'd, I'd gone sun, got sunstroke, I think. So that's why I was my immune system was low. But what had happened was I've, I'm at the I'm at the bottom end of diabetes. I've got diabetes, but not massively badly. But I'd had I'd had an insect wound that had, had never really healed, and the right. doctor had said, "Oh, you don't need to cover it up because it'll heal on its own," which is I think was a bad decision. 
Uh, anyway, what turned out, turned out was I ended up in hospital, and within a couple of days, this big scar started um, emerging, or this big sort of infection on my leg with blisters and boils oh, and all wow. sorts of horrible things. And it turned out that it looks as though the insect uh, bite had sort of, you know. So basically, I ended up with a form of sepsis. Oh, Jesus, um, well, you were but, lucky. But, 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 but I'd been, but the point was, I'd been swimming, I'd been, you know, so I'd been keeping myself really active. And it was at that moment where I was at my lowest ebb because I'd been working hard, I got sunstroke, and then suddenly, bang, something hits you, you know what I mean? And it's probably Absolutely. similar to, for you, you were putting yourself through a lot of stress and tension and things. Well, mine was, so um, yeah, I mean, specifically, they said, look, Charlie, if you don't sleep, something's going to explode and you're very, very lucky because I was on about maybe, and I wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't drinking or anything. Well, of course I was, but I mean, I wasn't spanking it or anything like that because I couldn't, because I had to get up early in the morning to, to start early. But um, I was, I was exhausted mentally and not sleeping. And the more exhausted you get and it's and mentally exhausted, the less you sleep. And it's just an ever uh, decreasing circle until eventually you just go bang. Unfortunately, uh, I didn't have a stroke. I had a mini stroke. You, get, you have these moments, don't you? And it does make you think about things. It does make you think what's important, doesn't it? That's, that's Yes, and not that I quest. You're more, you're more, I've always been pretty, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I grew up where I grew up in Northern Ireland, so you're always pretty sanguine about stuff. And, and um, you know, I've seen things and everybody at my age, I'm 61, so we grew up right through the thick of it. And um, everybody was touched including me, everybody was, not just, you know, everybody lost someone and, and in disgusting, horrible circumstances, no matter what part of the community you were from, we were very, very good at, at um, hurting each other. But so it didn't sort of, I didn't sort of sit back and suddenly decide, you know, um, I, I, I am a Christian of sorts, but I didn't suddenly finding myself going to church and thanking the Lord for keeping me alive I didn't stop drinking um, and I've just been normal, but, but you do, I would say my alarm bells are better. Uh, and I certainly appreciate life, but I've always appreciated life. But I, 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 I care. I'm a lot more aware now of other people's afflictions. And I'm also, um, I, I'm aware of mental health now that I, I wasn't before. Although my wife, God rest her soul, Leslie, had a horrible end she was addicted to prescription drugs and alcohol and had terrible 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 depression and so i had witnessed it but i had no it's very hard when someone you love is, is very ill to, to of course you sympathize but i've never had a headache in my life you know what i mean so i'd never been depressed or anything so i'm i'm a lot more since the stroke i'm a lot more conscious of of all that stuff I would be more conscious about mental health, whereas, you know, when Les, that was a long time ago, and and when, you know, Leslie was killed, uh, I, I shoved all that out of the way. I didn't want to know anything about mental health at all. Um, I wasn't very good. I actually, to be honest with you, you know, I, I mean, I would be the last person you'd say, right, Charlie, we've got a group of, uh, of very damaged human beings here. Unless they're soldiers, I work a lot with veterans. Uh, do you know what I mean? Would you would you go and spend a morning with them? These children are have learning difficulties and stuff like that. I would say you've really got the wrong man here. I would be crap at that. But now 
I'm far more aware of stuff like that, which is a good thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Now you touched there on your early years and your upbringing, and 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 also, um, you know, basically the, the the Irish side of side of you. I'm partly Irish, by the way. You can see from my name, B Y R N E, which is an Irish Irish name. My granddad. Yeah, I'm Northern from, Irish, by the way. I know you are. I know you are. <laughs> my granddad was my granddad was from Carlo. Um, and and to sort of, it's all very weird. I've never really got to the bottom of it because he came over in the 30s with the rest of the family. He ended up he ended up. Um, being in the British, he was in the British Army. And as, ma- the- as many fine men from Southern yeah, Ireland were. Yeah. But I don't. What I don't get, I've never, I've never been able to work out why they all came over all at once. Do you know what I mean? I've never managed to get to the bottom of that. And the family is always very quite quiet and secretive about that. So one day, one day, maybe I'll find out. But uh, the history has gone now. Yeah, the, yeah. the history is brilliant, and of course, in those days, people forget that uh, you know the provisional IRA. I mean, there was there was a war going on for a long time. It was a lot yeah. less than the seventies and eighties. But you know, people in the south, um, especially if you were if you had served or wanted to serve with the British Army, you weren't very bloody popular. Let me tell you. And um, so, but there's an awful lot of that. I mean, there was an awful lot of Catholics put out in Northern Ireland. And there was an awful lot of Protestants put out of the South. And it's just part of our rich, colourful tapestry that we have to live with. And, and um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a massive subject and uh, one well worth looking into from either side. Absolutely. And, of course, next year it's the anniversary of the, the beginning of the Republic of, Republic of Ireland. It's 100 years yeah, yeah. since, the, since, since, the, this year, yeah. since the, civil, the Civil War, as it were. So there's a lot of history there. But talk, just talking about you and your history and your career. So, you know, let's yeah. talk about so your career right at the very beginning was in a way shaped, wasn't it, from the fact of where you were based, where you'd grown up, because quite a lot of the things you ended up starring in or acting in were related to the troubles, weren't they, if I remember rightly? Yeah, I mean, we, we uh, back in the day, then, it was only, uh, so I'm going back to sort of 1980 when I went to drama school, started there. The Northern Ireland was becoming quite trendy. Um, people were starting to write stuff about it. So, you know, there were, in those days, before you were born, probably, mate, there was, <laughs> there was a play for today and play of the month. I was born in 72. So oh, well, there you go. Fun. So, right. Well, uh, and th- they started to run. Most of them were shite, I have to say. You know what I mean? There was an awful lot of English people sort of going on about the poor wee Republicans and all that sort of carry on. Uh, but there was a lot of work around because there was only me, Kieran Hines, Stephen Ray, uh, Dunbar was just starting to, to creep over the wall, you know. And um, so there, there was a bit of work around for us. So, so you, you naturally you took it. So I, I would say I turned a lot of stuff down, uh, probably to my cost. I mean, I was asked, Danny Boyle, before he became Danny Boyle, Danny asked me to go to the Royal Court a couple of times, and I wouldn't because the plays were just shit. And they were all about the poor wee bleeding people from the Republic of Ireland. And it was all right for them to kill us and all this fucking carry on. And it used to drive fury at me. But anyway, but... But there was stuff around and I did do, um, yeah, and it was very useful. I mean, I got the equity card in the first year of drama school. So they very kindly allowed me to go out and do, I think the first thing I did in the BBC was 19, 1981. And that was a, a, a screen too called Joyce and June. And I did that and, and really it gave me a good start. 
you know, and then he ended up doing Harry's game and blah, 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 and all, all the usual suspects, really. And we all did very well out of it. And then, of course, the, the time came, of course, you had to make a fucking decision to start talking like that, doing all that all the time, because you couldn't get a work, you couldn't get a job. Every fucking thing I went for, I had to do all this bollocks. You know, and just con everybody, otherwise you wouldn't get any work, you know. So um, that was, a, but it was a long time ago, you know. You said there was only a few of you around. Did you have a sense that you were, in a way, you were sort of being targeted as like the token Irish people that, you know, could do everything kind of thing? Is that, is that how it felt? Or were you sort of, and did that annoy you? Or did you just think, oh, well, it, I'm going to get I mean, work? Look, you know I mean? It's, yeah, I mean, what, what you're touching on, it, it, it will never go away. Um, I have many, many friends in the industry who are casting directors, and an awful lot of them are very bright. Um, and they can see into the they can see the potential, you know, they're very good. Um, uh, there are some, however, who don't. And Eamon Holmes will tell you, and he's not an actor, but any actor will tell you that if you're Northern Irish, um, it is a real struggle because you you're immediately worse off than any other um, actor from the United Kingdom or Great Britain or, or, or indeed the Republic of Ireland because it is such a thing, my dialect and me and being Northern Irish, that some casting directors cannot see beyond that. And that is, that is, that is, uh, that is true. And Tim Healy will tell you the same thing about being a Geordie. Um, it, I remember Brian Glover saying to me years ago, if you're from Yorkshire, you're allowed to play anything you want. If you're from London, you're allowed to play anything you want. You know, you're up against it, Charlie, because they can't see beyond their nose. Now, there are notable exceptions, and I've done a lot, a lot of work, and I've done a lot of work playing different things. I'm native Scots. I can do native whatever, blah, blah. And I've had the chance to do that. Uh, but it's, 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 it's bloody harder for us than it is for you lot. <laughs> oh no absolutely and to be honest to be fair when you think about it for a long period of time and, and it's only in recent times very recent times that we've ended up with uh specific programs on the tv whether comedy or drama that that color northern ireland or Derry, Derry girls of course with um, yeah, yeah, channel, yeah channel four but for a long period of time you will have been the only person on national uk television that most people will know as being somebody from Northern Ireland. I know, yeah. and, and and that was a real. I have to say, actually, it was a real honour. And um, and I, and I've, I'm writing my autobiography. We can touch on that in a bit. But I was writing about Mervyn Watson and James Bain, God rest his soul, and Brian Mills. And Mervyn was the producer. Now I was at the National Theatre a couple of years before, and they asked me to join Corey, and I said no. Uh, and I'll tell you why, because I was a po-faced Egypt. I was a serious actor at the National Theatre and didn't know anything about Coronation Street and turned it down as a dozen other actors would have done the same thing because we were so far up our own arses. Now, of course, actors, never mind Ian McKellen, but an awful lot of actors would kill to be in Corrie um, and, and have done. I mean, you've got um, Maureen Lipman. God bless her. It's just, you know, she, uh, you know, so there's this. People are killed to be in Corrie now. But back in the day, Mervyn decided and James decided right, we're going to have this Northern Irish guy and saw the consequences. And uh, and the poor writers, of course, had absolutely no bloody idea at all. So half my scripts for the first four months were all in Mancunian. You know, it was, it was crazy. Hence the, hence the Northern Irish 
bits creeping in. But you are right, and did, what an honour it was. Did you have to introduce the, you know, so you will, so I will, so so that the, the Irish phrases, did you have to introduce yeah, them? Yeah, the, the Northern Irish stuff came in because, um, you know, there was only, you see, back in the day, there was only really, um, Higgins was around still a bit, there was Eamon, there was me, and Jimmy Ellis had retired, but I mean, there wasn't many of us around. There was certainly, I mean, Eamon was on the telly saying so it is, so it was, so it blah, 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 and all this lot. And uh, so, I mean, I just decided, well, we'll give this a crack. So instead of saying uh, good morning, you know, I would say, what about you? And of course, the writers were driven nuts because they hadn't a clue what I was on about. Uh, but they soon cottoned on to what I was doing and and embraced it. Um, and it was a it was a great honour for, I'm very proud of my wee country, as you know, and to be accepted on, you know, we were getting 20 million viewers there some them some nights in the 90s and um you know it was before there was no phones no mobile you know what i mean people watched the telly there was only four channels for fuck's sake and um you know um so it was a great honor and i soon uh, learned to enjoy going home more than i ever had because people were very very proud uh, uh, with notable exceptions i hasten to add to all my celtic fans out there but um you know uh, I've a great honour to have played the character and still play him. So very, very, very proud. And and you're right, I was I was the only one front and centre. So I always I always remember when I was growing up as a little boy, the only the only um there were several parts of the UK that I only knew certain things. So for example, Wales, um, I think the only character I knew from Wales was Fenella the Witch in Chorlton and the Wheelies. Um, and the only character, oh, and Ivor the Engine, the, the, the cartoon, Ivor the Engine. And the only yeah, the, that's right. And the only characters I knew from the northeast were Jimmy Boland with uh, when the book comes when the book comes in, and of course the likely dad, likely lads, you know, likely lads, it, yeah. you know. So it's a thing, you, you know, people's impressions are often sh were often shaped by television. I mean, I was I, I met um, Stephanie Turner and Anna Carter from Juliet Bravo, and I said I said to both of them, I said when I was growing up. I never, I didn't know any police women at all. You were the police women that I knew. You were, that was it, you know. So it's bizarre. Just before we'll talk, obviously, properly about Corrie in a moment, but let's just look at some of those other things that you were in before Corrie. And you're talking about only having four channels. Way back in 1982, we only had four. Well, we just had four channels because Channel Four had just begun, hadn't it? Nine, uh, yeah, November 1982. Like that, yeah. And were you were you were working at Yorkshire Yorkshire Telly, weren't you? Doing Har Harry's game. I've oh. done so much damage to my brain, Ashley, that I have to I have to check up on this with the old CV. Nineteen eighty two Harry's game Yorkshire Telly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you're working at Yorkshire, which was of course a hotbed of uh, of creativity. Loads of fantastic things yeah. made at Yorkshire Television. Um, tell us a bit about Harry's game because you you know it was a big. A big, yeah, uh, it was big the first time. It was it was the first time they'd sort of gone for three consecutive nights, three hours of drama and all that sort of stuff. Written by Gerald Seymour, who of course was News at Ten. He was a journalist, and he'd uh, he'd uh, of course practiced his craft in Northern Ireland, so he was aware of it. It was around about the time several MPs had been murdered, so the premise started from there. Um, uh, the I mean, it, it was one of those things. There was a lot of people, and they won't mind me saying this because um, it, it's the truth. There were a lot of English guys who were, who were cast as Northern Irish, and some of them just managed to squeak it, and others were hopeless. 
But that's just the way it was in those days. You know, there wasn't enough of us to go around. But it was for its day. It was um, it it was brilliant for its day. It wouldn't stand the test of time now. Ray Lonan was an absolutely darling, darling man. He's dead now, bless him. He played Harry. And of course, Derek Thompson played the hitman. And Derek's from Belfast. Derek doesn't talk like that, you know. Derek talks like that there, so he does. And uh, a great mate of mine, Derek Thompson. And uh, so Derek was brilliant. And then surrounded by a few of us who were from back home. And, uh, and then a few who tried to get away with it. And some did and some didn't. Uh, um, but look, it was great for the day, and of course, Enya had the famous theme tune that went to number one, and it was a roaring, roaring success in 1982. Every now and again, Talking Pictures, I don't know if you've watched Talking Pictures, yes. they occasionally bring out some of these old, they're, show, they're showing a thing at the moment with uh, Margaret Lockwood that Yorkshire TV did in the 70s called Justice, wow. which is, I, didn't, I never knew Margaret Lockwood was in a TV series, obviously I think of the films. But yeah. um, Yorkshire were obviously trying to make a, a big noise right at the beginning because, of course, they came along, you know, replaced Granada in the in the Yorkshire area. Um, so, yeah, at some point, I'm sure Harry's game will probably get repeated they, on, yeah. on, on and they were a great, They were a great company to work for, I remember. They paid you handsomely, yeah. um, you know, back in the day. I don't remember what, but I remember thinking, Christ, this is a good wedge. And, uh, and I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And, of course... <laughs> We couldn't film in Northern Ireland, so um, we knocked the crap out of parts of Bradford and made them look like uh, bombed out places. I'll never forget, I was writing about this the other day, actually, and, and there's a scene in it where the, the British Army raid this Irish club. And so they used this Irish club in Bradford, and unbeknownst to them, um, you know, in those days, an Irish club in Bradford was a, was a hotbed of republicanism. So they had all these extras in there singing armoured cars and tanks and guns and getting pissed as fucking idiots. And by the time the boys came in as the British Army, by God, it kicked off royal. <laughs> but no, it was all a good experience and nice to work with. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, there's some nice stories about that, but I'll tell you about the book later. Fabulous. And, and saying on the theme of Ireland, because we said that, that Ireland yeah. sort of was part of your early years and, and, and in terms of acting and everything, um, as well as your life, um, you did Mike Lee's Mike Lee's TV film Four Days in July, didn't you? A couple of years later, and that was yeah. about the troubles in Northern Ireland as well. Now, with that, Mike Lee has a reputation, doesn't he, um, for for making drama in which you your set is this right? You set a scenario and you have to work around it as opposed to having a script. Is that right? Was that the same with this one? Yeah. Well, this was when uh, Mike was was still pure. Um, I don't know what he's what is um, sort of whether he's in handcuffs now, but um, in those days, him and the producer Ken Trod, uh, it was literally we turned up at White City, uh, ha having done an improvisational um, audition for him. Then we turned up at White City, about a dozen of us, and we sat in a room, and he said, "Right," he says, "I have no idea what we're going to do, but we're starting in a week's time." And that's where he started. And the, basically the brief for me and every other cast member was this. Go home and write down the name of anyone you've ever met on the plant. Right. Not someone you said hello to the postman or whatever, but someone of reasonable significance you have met in your in your years on this planet. And I came back with my list of people that meant something to me or, you know, were not. And it was a big list. 
And then you whittle it down, whittle it down, just by talking about the character, whittle it down, whittle it down, and then you settle on one person. And that is essentially where your character starts. And then through a process of improvisation, you, you, uh, God almighty, it went on forever. Uh, but then you end up with scenes. I ended up with a wife. I ended up being a uh, Ulster, Ulster Defence Regiment member of the British Army. And while you're not doing it, all the other characters are off doing exactly the same thing with Mike. Uh, and then after about three months, you've got a script, which you still don't know what it is, but you know what your bits are and who you're working with, but you've no idea what the other character's doing at all. So consequently, uh, it, it was an extraordinary experience. I learned an awful lot of, of, um, of how to work, uh, and I'm very proud of that. I, I'm, not, I'm not, however, proud of the finished product. I think I'm crapping it. Um, I, I think I would have been far better if I'd had two weeks. You know what I mean? I, because I just don't do anything. As, you know, it's just I, I'm not doing anything. But I ended up being, you know, four days and Billy McCracken's the, the, the lead in it near enough. You know what I mean? And um, so it was an extraordinary process. And I learned an awful lot about it. And I, I, I've just been writing that. Um, it wasn't until I worked with Gary Oldman many years later. Gary said to him it was his favourite show. He, uh, you know, he absolutely loved it. And I said, Gary, behave yourself. I thought it was shite. And he said, no, Charlie, that's because you've been in the Mike Lee piece and you can't see it from the outside because you're so, you become so intertwined with it that it doesn't make any sense in the end. You know, and I, I sort of felt disappointed with it, but I believe it's wonderful. He is a genius, actually. Yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah, yeah. He, there, nobody else works like him. No, and no. we did some extraordinary scenes came out of it. Um, but I, I, I'll take away from it this, Mike. Take away this, Mister Lee. I learned a great deal from you, and my craft improved immensely. And I learned that being truthful to yourself and and the character you're playing is essential. And even if you fall on your arse and you've given an honest performance um that's all you can do really and i've tried to do that all through my life and sometimes it works and and, and sometimes it doesn't and uh, you know sometimes it worked in cory and other times people didn't like it you know but i mean to go from mike lee to the uh production line sausage factory of coronation street you couldn't you couldn't you couldn't they couldn't be further apart um, you know, Corey by necessity had, has to be to a certain degree superficial because you don't have time to re you know research your blah blah blah. So I tried to make Jim McDonald real and honest, and I had all that from Mike. So fair play to you, Mister Lee. And Ashley's chat with Charlie Lawson for distinct nostalgia will continue in just a few minutes. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, then we would be living in a totally different format. A brand new podcast featuring rarely heard voices from across the UK and around the world. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. 
Contemporary conversations around bisexuality. Oh, well, you, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. We are questioned so much more than people when they come out as straight or gay. It's intense pressure of like, am I sure? You're literally like monitoring yourself. Every episode will include a very personal story as we try to paint a real picture of bisexual Britain. This is Bisexual Brunch. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Distinct drama. Fresh and original. Coming to Distinct Nostalgia this Christmas, a trilogy of comedy dramas by Carl Chetty, starting with Soft Centres. When I think of how I've wasted my life here. Starring Sir Derek Jacobi as Frankie. Placing handmade soft centres and nut clusters into Ponzi dwarf coffins is hardly an achievement. And Joanna Lumley as Millicent. Oh, Frankie's well past this game. He's been here 30-odd years. He'll be carried out in a box. (laughs) It's probably a gold chockey box with red bows and ribbons. And the story continues in Hard Centres. Well, I'm supposed to be retired, you know, but I'm back in the basement in my own little chockey grotto. (laughs) Starring Sir Derek Jacobi as Frankie and Imelda Staunton as Millicent. I like your new hat, sis. I'll slap you in a minute, you cheeky run. You know it is my hat, it's my hair. Sebastian, just done it. Incidentally... Yes, and what's that dirty look for? Your senorita's gone, but not forgotten. My senorita... What did you do to her? Show her your erogenous zone. And we conclude with Dark Centres, starring Sir Derek Jacobi as Frankie and June Brown as Millicent. Is there something going on between you two? Chant to be a fine thing, but I'm working on it. <laughs> Helen Lederer as Mrs Hamilton. So he's given someone a box of hard centres instead of soft centres. So what? That's what dentists are for. And Christopher Ryan as Mr Hamilton. Things are already at half cock. My tinnitus is getting worse, and plus I can't sprint for a taxi anymore without wheezing and drawing on my inhaler. So that's soft centres, hard centres, and dark centres. By Carl Chetty. Available this Christmas only on Distinct Nostalgia, wherever you get your podcasts. Coronation Street, then. It was 1989 that the McDonald's arrived with your two kids. I've spoken to um, to Nick Cochran about how they were picked and, and whatever, and he, he had a bit of a joke about yeah. your and, and, and uh, um, you know, your reaction to it at the time. Um, tell us, um, where did it come from in terms of, you know, how did you, you know, obviously, as you say, they were looking for somebody different, I suppose. But, you know, tell us, take us back to the early, early years. How did it all start for you? Uh, well, as I say, two years before, I'd been a silly boy and said no, really. But that was for a that was sort of for a guest role, I guess. And then the phone call came: Would I go and see them? So I went to see them, and I I read a couple of scenes, uh, and and obviously was completely different to anything they'd ever come across. And they wanted a new family to come in and kick a bit of arse, and. Uh, really i suppose it was a terribly brave decision on their part but also a fairly obvious one in the sense that well we're not going to get anyone different apart from charlie really are we you know what i mean unless we get a one-legged camel so you know get him in here and let's see what happens and uh and we were given a two-year contract which was unheard of and it pissed off some of the other cast members let me tell you because it was unheard of and some of the older members of the cast they they would have killed for a two-year contract 
but uh, so there we were, and um, the we the lads were well, only wee boys then, really. And um, Bev and I, fortunately, um, gelled very well, and the lads picked up what they picked up pretty damn quick. And we really had to just grab it by the nuts and, and run with it because um, otherwise, we, you get found out pretty damn quick in programs like Coronation Street. And I always say to kids, grab it by the bollocks and stamp your mark on it because otherwise you'll just get guzzled up and spat out the other end. And even more so now, you know, in those days, we had time. We joined, it was only two episodes a week and it was big news going to three, but we still had rehearsals. We still had time to think about it, you know, and the, the directors had time to spend time on the actors. It wasn't all about pretty pictures in those days, you know what I mean? It was about Absolutely. the performance. Absolutely. And there have been several families that have arrived in Corrie and they've gone after about six months because they just, it just hasn't worked. They haven't gelled particularly well, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it was quite, a, in many ways, just thinking back to that period, you know, it was 1989, obviously EastEnders had, had arrived by that point. But really, you know, with Crossroads had just finished, there was Emmerdale, there was Coronation Street. None of those soaps really... You know, we, we were in a period of time where we'd had the troubles for a long time in the UK. Very few of the soaps ever touched on anything to do with, with Northern Ireland or the troubles or whatever. So this was completely new territory, wasn't it? Bringing in somebody who'd got a Northern Ireland background, the army, all these kind of things in there. So, that, so, so the great thing about your character, I suppose, was that from the instant, which isn't always the, the same with all characters. From the instant, you got depth, hadn't you? You got some depth. Yeah, he had a history. Um, and, and I think he had to because although we never touched on the troubles, so to speak, because it wasn't our territory to do that, it, it, you know, he had a history which the writers created. Um, and, and so there was a depth there, you know what I mean? And there was that... Um, They'd been childhood sweethearts and Liz had been dragged all around the bloody planet um, with the British Army and what have you, um, you know, and, and, and that's a, you know, that, that's an important thing that we had straight away that, that um, we could build on. And, and pretty soon they, they, the subject was touched upon that, you know, Jim had left the British Army because of his wife. And he didn't want to. So you have all this stuff. So we were we were very lucky, you know. And But I think they had to because it was such a shock for them that all of a sudden there was this Northern Irish guy there. You know what I mean? It, it, I, they just were not expecting it at all. Otherwise, you know, you, well, you could tell by the writing, they had no idea that Marvin and James were going to come up with Charlie Lawson because they can you imagine their wee faces at home. Holy shit, what are we going to do now? <laughs> so do you remember meeting everybody for the first time? Do you remember meeting um, your your co-stars for the first time? Do you remember all that? Yes, I do. We met Bev outside and um, uh, we, we went in and sat down and Brian Mosley said, you can't sit there. And I said, why not? He said, that's Julie's chair. And I said, well, she's not fucking sitting at it now, you know. And um, so it was all that. It was all very much, there was, there was, it was just sort of the, you know, I suppose the 80s and 90s was its heyday and there was an awful lot of stuff going on that was, frankly, very amusing to me and alien to us. You know, I mean, I've written about it. And the, the, I mean, technical runs, people used to put on ball gowns and all sorts of bloody nonsense. I mean, it was just unbelievable. 
So, uh, you know, and I've been out in the real world for sort of 10 years and, um, and, and Corey, you know, I don't know what it's like now there, but it's in those days, you see, celebrity didn't exist. So the top shelf was men only Mayfair and, and, and you know what I mean? And Penthouse. And then, and then below that was Woman's Own and TV Times. That was about it. And then the Dandy and the Beano. Well, you go in there now, it's wall to wall. I'm a celebrity, mow my lawn and blah, 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 and all this. Carry on. We didn't have any of that. There was no mobile phones. There was no iPads. There's not, you know, celebrity was just starting. And Jason and, and Kylie were, you know what I mean? All that was just kind of starting. And that's why the wee lads, uh, the wee lads, that's why Nick and Simon had, relatively speaking over the next few years, a very hard time because they came the biggest stars, young stars on British television. And as I say, when you're getting between 15 and 20 million viewers, three nights a week, um, they, they, they found it quite, quite, I know Simon did and, and he wouldn't mind me telling you, you know, he found it very hard and, um, and, and he's still, you know, he's, he's still there. Bless him. You know what I mean? But he, he very nearly wasn't. He very nearly had enough of it, in the, uh, you know, in the first few years. And, and I know he did because I was by his side. Nobody prepares you for that, do they? That's the thing. You can't prepare for no, suddenly and, and, becoming and, a household name, can you really? And also, the, people forget as well. Uh, and, um, you know, I most of them are all retired now. Uh, and uh, most of them, and some of them went to prison. Uh, and some of them got done and got fired. But the press in those days were a bunch of shysters. And, um, you know, uh, no sooner were their mobile phones and they were hacking them and blah, blah. But, I mean, they could really do anything they wanted and nobody prepares that for you. And, I mean, Alison and Janice, the press officers, God bless them both. They, they you know, they would say to you, right, this year is going to change your life. And any, remember they said to me, Charlie, you've been around, son, uh, and every skeleton you've got in there is going to come dancing out of the closet. And sure enough, it did. But, um but we have a we have a, a gentler system now, and I am I am well aware of of you know that I think the young people now, apart from the fact that a lot of them just want to be famous as opposed to be actors, um, you know they 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 don't know how easy they get it now. You know, you joined Coronation Street in 1989 at a time when there was still some people who were in Corrie who'd been there during a period of time because things were changing a little bit, but Coronation Street was huge. And in a way, some of them, people like, I mean, she'd gone by the time you got there, but people like Pat Phoenix and others, they were massive stars in the sense, in, in a sort of they Hollywood were. style, weren't they, really? They were, they? they were, they were, um, they were royalty over here, you know what I mean? I mean, I never knew um, Pat Phoenix at all, but I mean, Julie was right up there. Julie was right, right up there. Let me tell you, and Julie knew she was right up there. I got on like a on with her like a house and fire because, you know, I, she I wouldn't take any shite off her and, and vice versa, and so we rubbed along fine. But I mean, you know, as I said, if you'd seen the the frocks on a Wednesday afternoon or a Tuesday afternoon or whatever it was, I mean, it was just bizarre. But uh, and you know, uh, it was a different world it was a totally different world and as i say you know it's hard to imagine four channels that was it there were four bloody channels and that was it so if you were if you were a star in coronation street you were you everybody in britain knew who you were every everybody because not only was there millions of people watching you every or three two or three nights a week you were in the bloody newspapers every day constantly yeah, um, yeah absolutely, so absolutely. it was a different world 
Well, let's talk a little bit about how you all sort of shaped the McDonald family. Obviously, you got a script and, and all the rest of it you had to follow. Um, but presumably, you were able to import a little bit here and there into the way way things were. You talked about the fact that you got some Northern Irish in there in terms of um, language and all the rest of it. But, you know, you were, you were dealing with, in terms of the boys, you were doing, dealing with two guys who were very new to it. This is the first thing that they, they, were, they were plucked from obscure, completely from obscurity, weren't they, really? Yeah. You know, they were very new to it. Obviously, they, they swam very well, but their characters were supposed to be very different. And I think that, you know, it comes over over time. But how did you just tell us a bit about how, how you feel looking back now, how it evolved and whether there are any things that you felt as though you had to change quickly or, you know, just tell us a bit about the early years. Uh, I think they got better very, very quickly. Um, they'd done school plays. I think they, they got better very quickly. Uh, I mean, I'm a great believer and I think, Corey and I suppose Emmerdale and other things, they do find people out damn quick. Uh, and I'm a believer that you're either an actor or you're not. I don't believe you can suddenly um, become one unless you're extremely lucky. I think it's in your, it's, it's in your genes. I, God knows why, for Christ's sake. It's very hard to learn how to do. Uh, do you know what I mean? But if you're a natural, you won't get found out. And I think they, they had it. And um, it's only... Uh, you know, and I mean, Simon will tell you this, you know, I'm not talking out of school, I love the boy. But I mean, there were periods of time when Simon didn't like what he was doing. And I know what periods those are because I've talked to him about it. I'm not going to tell you. You can get Simon to tell you. But, you know, what the initial the initial sort of couple of years, they were young and, and it all sort of came naturally and it was all boom, boom, boom. It all worked. And then you get a period of time where they're maturing and they start to do acting, you know. And we used to—I was—I was always wanted to say, "Here, come here, stop acting. You don't have to do that. You know, just, just, just do it for Christ's sake. It's there. It's on the page. Just say the damn thing. Stop acting." But that's something that you have to learn and trust, you know. Um, but they were—they were quite extraordinary, considering the pressure they were under from outside influences and and all the you know, the shit they had to go through with the press and stuff. And Simon, by the nature of the character, you know, the, the his peers weren't that keen on him uh, when he started to become a bit of a wide boy and stuff, you know. And, uh, and uh, so he uh, he did have a hard time. But I let Bev do most of the um, most of the lecturing or whatever, you know, because I, I thought she would be far more efficient at doing it than, than me just getting cross. So Bev was very instrumental in there, in there, because we went through a time where you know, oh dear, you're late again, and uh, you know you're not, you you know, I was forever saying, listen, if you can't go out all night and turn up in time, don't be doing it, you know, and uh, because I was very adept at doing that with Phil, Philip Middlemas, you know, we were quite adept at staying out all night, but coming in early and being ready to, to go, you know. Uh, but look, I I I, I miss uh, Nick not being in it. He, I felt he he was definitely a natural. Nick never had a Nick never had a waiver on the way through, and I often wonder what the hell they got rid of him for. But he was always a natural the whole way through. Simon, I think, had a couple of dips where where he found it quite hard. Uh, no, of course he's a consummate actor. Of course he is. You know, he's so good now that he gets lazy. 
and he and don't worry he's been told you know he's, he can give Simon a script and he'll just breeze it you know what I mean the, the, the trick is to well, get no, Simon to, to do something I think you're right about Nick you know he, Andy added something to Steve and, and I, sometimes I look at his, Steve's character and I think to myself actually you know it'd be great to, for him to have that contrast of a brother who is very different sort of giving him a bit of a hard time pushing him a bit whatever and he does feel, yeah, he did. I always liked Andy, and I, I, I mean, I was saying to him last time when I spoke to him, you know, um, he, I, I, for me, it feels very natural. It would, it would be really natural for him to go back into it again. I suppose. But, I think you know. so. I, I think he would add. I think he always adds a great deal to the, the, um, you know, the, the, the McDonald's, um, and he was sorely missed. Uh, now, whether or not you, you, you what? Uh, my, it's my opinion, Parksy, and it's entirely up to you, Mr. Brian Park, whether you agree with me or not, my friend. Always got on well with Brian, but I think Brian came in and just decided to get rid of a few people. And whether or not he didn't like Nick, I don't know, but I think that's what happened. And um, I, I could never understand it. Like to, producers like to stamp the mark, you know, they've got to make some kind oh, yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they all do. And it's not, it wasn't just Brian. I mean, you know, it happens every few years, you know what I mean? Something happens. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, what happens then is that the, the press say you've been fired. Well, I only know of one person in my tenure and all the time I was there who's, who finished before the end of their contract and they shall remain nameless. Let's talk about your character. So what... Were you told that you that your character? Obviously, you got the backstory, but in terms of temperament and how he was going to be, I mean, you know, did, you know, did he evolve, or you know, how? I mean, obviously, there were certain things, certain characteristics from the very beginning. But you know, tell us about a bit, a bit about how how Jim McDonald became Jim McDonald. Well, I think. Um... As I've said, I, the, the, there was there was an awful lot of time initially, and there was a lot of there was rehearsals, and uh, you know you had chance to experiment a bit. And uh, I was never the same twice, or tried not to be. And unfortunately, Bev, God bless her, w um, w was able to work that way with me because she worked in a completely opposite way. But the writers, really, I mean, if you look at all the list of writers that were around then, I see them popping up now. A couple of years ago, when that classic curry started, you know, and, and the McDonald's appeared, I looked at the writers in there, and Jesus Christ, they were shit hot, and they'd been writing over Granada, the seat of drama, and in, in, on ITV, they'd been writing stuff, you know, they were they were they were really great, but so they allowed us. You answer your question. They allowed us to kick on, and um, you know, if something, you know, Jim Jim would. Jim flew off the handle because I decided he was going to fly off the handle. Now, you, you know, if I, if you write me a line, there's umpteen ways you could say it. And, and uh, six times out of 10, if you say it the way that it's not expected, it will work. So gradually, um, I mean, Bev and I started to spark off each other. And of course, she just, Beverly just, you know, we were in each side, each other's pockets and we adored each other. So, if I if I had a crack at Liz, she'd be damn sure she had a crack back in the next line, and so it grew, and so that relationship though founded on on a deep love and and sexual attraction and all that sort of carry on. The, the one was as good as the other, you know what I mean, and and that's why they they lasted. It was a very strong woman and a very strong man, 
and uh, and and it worked. And of course, the boys, when you're surrounded by that, then the boys just pick up on all that sort of carry on. So we were we were very lucky. Um, well done, James Bain, for casting us. You know, we were you know it could have been a complete disaster. Got the you know the, the, the contrast in the relationship between Jim and Andy and Jim and Steve. You know that the, the boys were very different, and their relationship with their dad was very different, wasn't it? In terms of how they were seen, yeah. and how he how he saw them, and that's often the case with dads, isn't it? Dads dads will have a son that they're very close to or see as quite important, and other ones that they'll, they'll think, oh, he's a waste of space or whatever. You know what I mean? And that yeah. that came over, didn't it? I think it did, and also the, the um, when they the writers got a grip of that. Um, that 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 grew through the eleven years um, I was there. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't just wasn't just once that Steve got his dad in bother or whatever, or vice versa. You know, or his dad got him out of trouble or what have you. You know, it was an ongoing thing. And of course, what can I say? Actually, I'm very proud of the way we did it. And and um, you know, um, we were we were very lucky that it worked because, as I said, it could have been a nightmare. I better mention it, and we'll, we, I was going to wait till the end, but I'll mention it anyway because you you might you might um, throw some uh, some 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 tidbits from it. You, you're writing your autobiography at the moment as we speak. Are you? You're busy doing. Yeah, it, I, I'm. I'm now up to about. I can see the end. Actually, it should be finished in about uh, in about two weeks' time. It's uh, it's a bit of a monster, but I have a big story. So um, uh, you know, it's two hundred thousand words. Is not. I'm doing it. There's no ghostwriter. I'm doing it myself because. Mm-hmm. Contrary to myths, I'm a fairly intelligent human being. Um, and, um, you know, I've got some people interested in what have you. So it's all in there. <laughs> have, you, have you got a name for it? Uh, no, but you, 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 you'll, probably, you'll probably get fairly close to it. So you will. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I want to get it finished first. And then, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of things happens to me happened to me over the years, and um, so there's a lot of legal stuff to go in. Um, of course, of course, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of you know. I mean, uh, you know, I go back. I was at boarding school from the age of six, and it wasn't always. Uh, although I was a tough little so and so, it wasn't always easy growing up in Belfast. You've got all that stuff then, getting involved in in uh, paramilitaries in Scotland. Then getting, then ending up at drama school, getting my equity card, and, and then just bashing through. And of course, you, you get you get a big CV, and you just go through it. And every every job's got a story. And and I used to wear my heart on the sleeve, so I've got an awful lot of apologising. And well, you know, I, I was never out of love until you know I, I was a terrible boy, and um, I've got all that to go through. And now I'm just. Um, I'm actually about to start um, uh, my first return to Coronation Street when he broke out of jail to go to Blackpool. Ah. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the people, and I'm sure you'll touch on this, some of the characters. Obviously, you've got your core family. You, you, you all work together. And, and in a way, I know, guys, I spoke to other actors before, sometimes it can be fairly lonely because you, when I, I don't mean lonely, lonely, but you're focused on your family and you don't necessarily always get to see or meet some of the other characters and actors. But you were you were in Coronation Street in what I would say, certainly the 70s and the 80s, I think, were both periods were very good. There's lots going on. There's some great stars have been there for a long time. Who do you remember? I mean, you mentioned Julie Goodyear. Are there any particular characters, what, what some of the legendary ones that you worked with that, you know, when you look back, you, you, you think, 
you know, that was brilliant to have actually worked with them. Anybody in particular stand out? Uh, well, I, I think it was actually it was the, the crack I had with a lot of them. I mean, Mother, um, as I famously nicknamed her, Lynn Perry and I had a great laugh. Um, uh, you know, uh, and I ended up looking after her, bless her, um, towards the towards her her, her end uh, in the show. I used to play golf with Briggsy. Um, Philip Middlemas and I were inseparable, um, and we did Manchester. Oh, God, I couldn't even begin to tell you what we did in Manchester. Um, well, you can read the book, but uh, you know, and and I was fortunate. Sarah Lancashire and I were extremely close, and you know. Uh, you know, we were very, we were, we're very close, and I don't mean that in any sort of um, sexual way, but we were very close and had circumstances been different. Who knows? Um, Eva Pope uh, is still one of my dearest friends, and actually went on to um, virtually save my life um, in latter years. That's another story. But um, Eva, I was speaking to her earlier on today, so it's really I. I I didn't find any of them sort of intimidating because I'd been around and I didn't watch the street. So I, you know, although I knew who they were, I didn't, and they were massive. There is no doubt about that. But I got on. I mean, there were a couple of people. Listen, somebody famously said, used to make me laugh, and I'm not going to tell you who. So you so used to say endlessly, if you stab one of us, we all bleed. And I used to go, yeah, right. You know, there was there were 40 egos in there. And let me tell you, some of them were bloody monsters. And there was an awful lot of people getting shopped upstairs and all that. You know, it wasn't all bloody roses, you know, but it says an awful lot that, that everybody pulled together and produced the program at the end of the week because it wasn't all wine and roses. Let me, well, it was all wine, but, there were, you know, some of the roses were very damaged and some of them got ripped up and thrown out, let me tell you. And anybody who's been in, in the other one, East Enders or Emmerdale, will tell you exactly the same thing, if they're being honest. You know, there Absolutely. are an awful lot I mean, of egos. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's going to be, isn't there? It's, 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 yeah, human, it's just, human nature in that sense, you know. Um, you get 40 so, actors together, you know, it ain't going to all be wine and roses. It's the same as you've got an industry. You work in the bloody industry as well, actually. You know damn well. That, that, full of egos, know. full of egos. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, there is one character that I am fascinated by, one actress that I'm fascinated by, and we have heard various people's stories about her. Um, Chris Quinton talks about her and various other people as, as we've if you listen through the Stink Nostalgia interviews and it's it's fascinating because she's not around to talk to us sadly and she was in so many other things other than Coronation Street you know she was in Kez and all sorts of kitchen sink dramas and the rest of it Lynn. and that is you just mentioned Lynn Perry I'm yeah. fascinated by Lynn because I know that Mother. she was a real character on and off screen tell us about about Lynn Perry what just tell us some interesting things about Lynn how do you what, do you remember first meeting her uh, yeah, the first day I went to the boozer with Johnny Briggs and Lynn and uh, she was getting stuck into the brandy and baby sham and uh, Briggsy was, you know, and I was getting stuck into the pints and, and uh, um, Lynn, was a, Lynn, Lynn was a great actress. Uh, she hadn't done perhaps as much as she thinks she had, but she, um, she was a good actress. She was uh, great, great fun. Uh, but she rattled a bit. I mean, she had, she was, there's a funny story about me and Kev Kennedy and, and, uh, just Kev was a great mate of mine. And he won't mind me telling you this. And I mean, Lyddon used to have a cocktail of pills that she was on all the bloody time. And, and she shared some out with us one day and by God, we were all over the bloody shop. You know what I mean? 
But uh, Lynn was her own worst enemy, bless her. You know what I mean? She did let, there is no doubt about it. You know, it's the truth. So so I'm not treading on any toes. She just let the drink get the better of her. And, um, you know, uh, but she was great crack. So she was. And I remember I used to go to the Greyhounds with her at Bellevue. And she used to, me and Philip and Lynn used to do, me and Philip and Lynn took her to the Hacienda, for Christ's sake. You know, she was she was value for money. So she was, and unfortunately, in the end, she just lost it a wee bit. And, and why on earth she, she had cosmetic surgery? God only knows. But I mean, that, it was just, uh, it was a sad demise, bless her, because there's no doubt about it. She was one of the stalwart characters. And when she was on song, you know, when she was firing on all cylinders, she was absolutely bloody great, you know, um, as, as all I, of them were in their own different ways. You I, know? Grew, I grew up in, in Yorkshire and, um, and my partner did as well. And we all knew, to be fair, in when I was growing up, an Ivy Tilsley. There was an yeah. Ivy everywhere. You know, she she got that. I mean, she was from Yorkshire as well. And Olin Perry. she yeah. got that to a T. She, she was fantastic at that. And and you know she just felt real. There's some there's something real about her, and I love the way in which she'd, you know, in the early years she she had this, which was brave of Corrie in a way because you know you didn't always tackle soaps didn't always tackle religion and things like that. And she had this yeah. she had this thing with the Catholicism and all the various things going on in her head. And you know actually you know most people would look at her and think oh you 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 know you're, you're daft you're stupid whatever. But you had some sympathy for her because you could see how much she believed in what she believed in. Yeah, she did. And, 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 uh, yeah. uh, look, they don't build them like Lynn anymore, you know what I mean? Uh, um, uh, I had a great fun with her. Uh, I very seldom worked with her on, on the set, uh, but that's often the case. I mean, the, you know, I, I probably only had about four or five scenes with William o- over the years. Um, you, that's just the way it goes, you know what I mean? But... Uh, you, you, I, I'm full of admiration for them all, and I, I touched on that just there. I mean, um, William Roach is a. Put it this way: I have absolutely no idea why that man has not been knighted. I just, I just don't get it. And maybe, maybe it's because you you have to be nominated or something. In which case, I nominate William Roach. He's a, a absolute gentleman. I also always got on with him. He always called me Charles. And I always called him William. And we were the only two people who did, because he hated Bill. Probably still does. But, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, he, he, it, he's still turning it out, you know? He has got an MBE. Yeah, but he wrote, should have a so. bloody knighthood. You yeah. know, I can look around, Ashley, and you can look around and look at some of the arseholes who've been knighted. And, you know, I don't have to say who, who they are, but you can name at least 10 in five seconds, and me, but I'm not going to. But I mean, and you look at, uh, you know, I was able to, Billy Tarmy was a very, very good friend of mine. And I stayed with him very often when I was in trouble. And, um, you know, Billy was great fun. And uh, I mean, but there you go. I mean, you know, Liz Dawn and I didn't get on, you know. Uh, so we didn't, you know, so there was no point in going for a picnic, for Christ's sake. We just sort of went like that, you know. The, but that's that's the way of the world. And, but she didn't get on with Lynn either. Everybody was very strong in their, in their own way. And that's a very hard recipe to get right. And at one point in the 80s, every single person on that show was was, was strong and good. There wasn't any waste of space there. No. You know what I mean? It was, it was uh, you know. I like the, the character relationship between Jim and Maud. When you, oh, when, you, when you were in a wheelchair for a while, and of course she was in oh, a wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah. That was classic. That was really good. It I, was I, just, love that. I listen. 
I just I only discovered you. Well, you know what I'm like from today. I only discovered YouTube about two years ago, and I found um, clips on there. Jesus, I'm all over the bloody thing, which is brilliant. And uh, I found those clips, those scenes, uh, and of course, in those days, you know, there was there was still a wee bit more time, and those scenes with uh, um, Jim and Maud, um, uh, I, they would be in my top 10 of things I've ever done. They're just, they're just brilliant because the writing is, you know, you don't have to say much when you've got Jim crying and Maud saying, what do you mean? You're going to kill yourself. I thought you were a soldier, you know, blah, blah, and all this sort of stuff. It's just, it's just superb. And so I remember I was saying in the book, uh, I, I can't remember which scene it was, but we finished one scene and, and Liz Bradley just turned around to the director and said, well, you won't get any better than that. And he looked at us and he said, print it, you know. Absolutely. Apparently, I interviewed Sherry Euston and Sherry was saying that in real life, she was a bit of a party animal. She was. She liked, yeah, she did. She liked to drink. I used to knock about with her when I first joined the street. There was uh, uh, early, I used to stay in the Midlands sometimes and Amanda was staying there and Liz Bradley used to go up there and she, oh no, she'd be there after dinner. Don't be, you know, she wouldn't be first to bed, you know. Great well, fun, and of course, and, and Amanda was still in it, wasn't she? When you were when you started, she was, she was yeah, 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 and and, and obviously brilliant, brilliant uh, actress, and, and done lots and lots of things. I mean, she's another one, really, when you think about it, in terms of the amount of things she's done. But you're right. I mean, there's been some real characters in Corrie. How do you feel when you're looking back at these episodes that you've been watching on Classic Corrie, which I've been doing as well? And it's a it's a real comfort blanket to watch them. Actually, I sit there with a, a cup of tea and a biscuit, and it's it's really nice in the afternoons. Uh, what what is it about them? Do you think that is is? I mean, I think it's about the writing and the language and the you know the fact that it's not. I mean, you know. We know things have moved on. We know there's action and stuff in all these programs now, and more of that than there is of the words. But do you? Th- yeah. How do you think that's? Do you think that's regrettable? Do you think the fact that there isn't well, a focus on the words as much as there used to be? Yeah, I mean, look, acting is about good acting is about um, people talking to each other. It's the spoken word. That's why radio is the finest media there is. It's as simple as that. It's the purest and finest. Two actors talking to each other. You don't need to shoot pretty pictures. You want two actors talking to each other. That's what it's all about. And we still had a lot of that in the 80s. And we all know, as you say, actually, things have to change in the 90s. And we've moved on. We're in 2021, for God's sake. And, you know, it's all different. But in those days, people talk to each Characters talk to each other. They shouted at each other. They cried with each other. And the dialogue was the most important thing in the performance. And Nobody was bothered about pretty pictures and stuff. And we all know it's moved on. But the standard, I think, of the the programs that we watch in the afternoons now um, would take some beating. Um, You know, it's very rare now that you would ever, unless it's specifically written, you would get a a, a scene, um, you know, four minutes long or something. It doesn't sound like a long time, but you count it out. It's a long time. And the McDonald's had scenes like that, you know, and and uh, oh, people had scenes like that. And it's very hard now when you've got 70 people and six episodes to do a week, you know, or you've got 100 people. Uh, so there are different, uh, if you're asking me, do I think it was better in the 80s and 90s? Uh, I would have to say yes. And that's not the cast's fault. It's because we had more time, we had more opportunity and we had less people in the show. 
and there was more time for characters to relate to each other. Um, now, uh, you know, some people would say uh, that it's better now. Uh, I believe over the last few days it's been very exciting. I, I don't know because I'm usually in the pub at half seven or whatever. But as you say, actually, things move on. It's like, it's like my favourite film, 12 Angry Men. Well, it wouldn't look the same if you made it now, but the black and white version of 12 Angry Men, when you get 12 jurors sitting around a room and the film takes an hour and 40 minutes and it's 12 good men and true talking to each other, it's, that's all it is. And things, things are also cyclical as well, you know. I find in our industry that people have mantras that are always trying, oh, this is, the, this is the best thing, this is what's the new thing, and everyone's going to follow it, blah, blah, blah. You know, I work in radio and, and in TV to an extent, and the last 20 years, I, there's not one conference I've been to where people haven't been writing off the demise of radio and television. And you know what? It's still there. They're still yeah. doing very well. Viewing figures are actually pretty good, really, to say when you think there's actually lots of choice out there. You know, ITV's still pulling in big viewing figures for its programmes, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, there's always people trying to write things off. But also I think things are cyclical as well because, you know, we're doing a podcast. And I hate the word podcast. It's such a technical word. At the end of the day, we're doing a show, aren't we? But what 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 you find out with podcasts is that actually the ones that are most successful tend to be the ones that are actually quite long. The people who like, people like to invest time in them. So actually yes. this nonsense that people have got very tiny, short attention spans isn't necessarily the case for everything, you know. So it might be that we go full circle, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 as you just said there, um, radio, the spoken voice is the most powerful um, thing in our artistic world, in, in my opinion i mean there's a there's a there's a video going on around a tweet uh, a tweet uh, on twitter of um your man doing only milk wood at the national he's before have you seen it so uh, he's a welsh actor and his name escapes me you'll know him but he, he google it anyway he's doing it at the national and that's about that's about um he's reading dylan thomas he's not reading it. he's he's performing under milk wood he's speaking the verse speaking the prose and that's all it is you don't need anything else if the if it's well written the prose is well written the actors you can't do shite it's very hard to, to do rubbish um uh, you know you get it gets found out bad writing gets found out when it's good writing and we had brilliant writing in the in the in the 90s and you've got a bit of time and you're a half-decent actor, and all you do is put a camera on you and a camera on me and put a few cuts in there and the odd close-up for five minutes, and you, you can't whack it. And there's no explosions, you know. Uh, but, look, we live in different times, actually, for God's sake, you know? As I say, I think I think it's all cyclical and things evolve, and, you know, in another 10 years' time, they'll probably say, everyone will be saying, oh, those healing comedies, we need to celebrate them again because they were brilliant. Yeah, 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 them, you, know, yeah. you get you get that, don't you? So yeah, so so I want to talk to you talk to you about some of the other things that you've done in a minute. But um with regards to Corey, um, you know, you had some fantastic storylines over the years, and obviously that chemistry that you had with Bev and the you know, there was something there was something it was a, it's obviously a drama and a soap opera and whatever, but there was something real about those characters. You felt as though, and this is off is obviously the sign of, of anything that's successful. People were watching your characters 
twice a week, three times a week, whatever, they felt as though they knew you because there was some some kind of realism about those characters. You felt as though you knew, a, a, you know, a Jim and a Liz in real life that they existed in some respects. And the thing I liked about it was, you know, my 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 dad um, won't uh, have a problem with me saying this because <laughs> we've talked about it at length. But you know, I grew up in a household where. Mum and dad, when I was growing up, were always rowing. You know, I was sat at the top of the stairs listening to them rowing quite late at night and all the rest of it. It never, it never, it never impacted on me, you know, directly, but it did impact on me in the sense I heard them, you know, arguing all yeah. the time. And that is the reality of our lives, isn't it? People's lives are not perfect. Relationships aren't perfect. Sometimes people stay together for years and years and years, but their relationship is tumultuous yeah. and there's lots going on. And that's what I liked about it. And I think that's what um, and people, was the attraction. People, you, know, you know, and, and, and people, you know, Jim and Liz used to shout at, at um, uh, Steve and Andy. Well, that's what bloody happens, for Christ's sake. You know what I mean? With your two young lads living in the same house, uh, uh, you know, in number 11. That's what bloody happens. They get on your wick and, and you know, and that's what happens. And they, they're, they're always, you know, oh, he's drinking again. And they said, well, what's it going to do with you? Piss off, you know. I mean, that's 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 what happens, and and of course, you always knew that um, the Jim and Liz, um, you know, really wanted each other, and, and and it was proved over the years that they had a thing for each other, and they they always they always will. I mean, you know, that's just the way the way it is. And although you know, the, there came points and when they split up, you know, for Christ's sake, uh, um, they get married in jail. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um yeah, look, I was I was blessed to to to, to do that. I'm very proud of it, actually, and, and I'm glad that you and other people enjoyed it because Bev and I wouldn't have hung around if we hadn't enjoyed it either. Life's too short. And Ashley's chat with Charlie Lawson will continue in just a few minutes. As well as amazing interviews just like the one you're listening to now, the Distinct Nostalgia podcast is also home to an epic radio quiz. Oh, I've never heard of it. Where listeners just like you go head-to-head on their favourite TV shows and films and put their general knowledge to the test. There's a bonus point if you can sing the theme tune, but I know you're not going to, are you? Skippy, 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 the bush kangaroo, is all I can remember that. Yeah, well, that yeah, that earns you a point. Yeah, I'll go for that. A brand new season of the Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz is almost here, and it needs you. Prisoner Cell Block. Cell Block B. Prisoner Cell Block H. Simply pick your favourite TV show or film and get in touch at distinctnostalgia.com or by messaging us on Twitter. Have a go at three British films. Just have a guess. Oh, Whistle Down the Wind, Carry On Up the Kyber. I'm, no, this is rubbish. I'm sorry. No, I don't <laughs> they're, know. <laughs> they're, they're not bad attempts, actually. And the two leading minds from across the month compete head-to-head in the final for a coveted Distinct Nostalgia mug. It's almost like a trophy. The Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz. Got there in the <laughs> And oh, it's amazing. They always are. <laughs> if you're a Blue Peter fan, you'll enjoy something special we've got coming soon. Tim Vincent is going in search of Valerie Singleton, and he'll be meeting one or two others along the way. Hi, Peter. It's Tim Vincent. How are you? Oh, hi, Tim. How are you? Nice to hear from you. I'm not too bad. i tell you why I'm ringing up. I'm trying to get hold of Valerie's number by any chance. What, Singleton? Yes. Hmm. I'm not sure I've got it now. I've got an address somewhere. 
Well, I'm tempted to ask, why do you want Val's phone number, Tim? I'll only pass it on to you if you divulge why you want it. <laughs> Tim Vincent, as I never breathe. What are you calling me for? What do you want? H- Hello? T- Tim? Tim Tim Vincent. Tim Vincent. Oh, God. It's Tim Listen out for In Search of Valerie Singleton with Tim Vincent very soon on Distinct Nostalgia. Let's just talk a little bit about some of the other things you did. Now, I didn't know this, um, maybe, maybe, probably because I, I did watch it a bit, but maybe I don't remember it too well. But you were in 11 episodes of Bread. Is that right? Yes. Well, I went up for Joey, completely stupid, but I went in and I bullshitted my way in and away out the door. um, I started speaking Northern Irish again and Carla called me back in with Robin Nash, the producer, and said, I can't believe you've just bullshitted us. I said, well, I'm an actor. That's what I do. You know what I mean? And uh, so she said, well, if you let me, I'm going to write a part for you into a, um, a couple of episodes into every series. And I said, well, you're you're a darling woman, Carla. I'm your man. So there it was. Simon Royce and I turned up and guested a couple of episodes in, in five series or whatever it was. And uh, yeah, a long time ago, but great fun. And incidentally, that was, um, I don't think you'd get away with it now, but Pete Howitt, me and uh, Vic McGuire and Simon Royce, who you'll know from the bill and multitude of other things, we were impossible. The, the scenes ground to a halt. And in the end, word would come down on from on high from BBC White City up to Liverpool saying, stop it, stop it right now, or, or you will be sent off red carded, the lot of you, because if we started, that was it. The whole day was ended. We, we just couldn't. I mean, I've worked with Mike Elphick over the years and there's been drink taken and God knows, but this was just laughter. Once we started, that was it. We were very, very badly behaved, but we produced it. She introduced you as a sort of semi-regular, incidental kind of character, was it? Yeah, that that was Carla. Yeah, Yeah, she just said, because I'd had the balls to win, pretend to be Joey, you know, um, pretend to be a scouser and all this stuff. When I went out, I just said, all right, all the best then. Thanks for seeing me. And she said, get your arse back in here. She said, I can't believe you've done that, you know. I mean, I was totally wrong for it. You know, Pete Howard was right. But um, yeah, so that was it. But in those days, the, the world was different in my business. The world yeah. was different. Yeah, who would have thought that? Well, I'm going to write that bastard apart because he's had the balls. To, you know, it was, it was it's all different now. It's all changed now. Carla is, is sort of in a way, I mean, she's, yeah, she's did some fantastic things. But in a way, she, she's been uncelebrated a bit, hasn't she? In the sense of, you know, she just—I say she did some brilliant things, but sometimes I think she's she's overlooked when actually she was she was pushing against the tide. You know, at the time, you know, there wasn't many women writing comedy, was there? Yeah. You know, and she wrote comedy after comedy, you know, Liver Birds, Bread, you know, all sorts of things over the years. You know, and I think she was brilliant—a brilliant writer. You know. But they put it on now. You see, actually, that you know, I, I don't—I can't even spell political correctness. But you see, it's all changed now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and he, he, they don't want a matriarch running a family. It, it's not funny. It would be considered no. politically uh, inept and politically yeah. incorrect. And it would uh, people would be insulted by Avalee. 
Abilene. People would be insulted by, you know, the comedy. And it's so sad. And I hope that this is cyclical. And I hope that in 10 years' time, British humour is not... I don't need some buck agent telling me oh. in the yeah. afternoon what is about to come on was written in the 1970s and it might bloody offend you. I mean, in the name of Jesus. I saw one the other night. He said uh, it was a World War Two thing. Well, World War One thing. He said, oh, it was upstairs, downstairs. That's what it was on Talking Pictures. He said... This this uh, this drama was made in the 1970s and is about World War One and will and includes uh, attitudes and blah 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 from from the First World War. Well, of course it does. It was about the First World War, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, it's like saying um, Shakespeare. Shakespeare's Othello. They mentioned making the Beast of Two Backs. Please cut it out. Yeah, yeah I agree. Just, because uh, and it, I despair, and that's why I, I I turned to talking pictures, and that's why, unfortunately, that I really haven't watched the BBC for a long time now, and and that's really sad because I loved Auntie Babe, you know. What what Carl was good at at the end of the day, she her her raison d'etre was was observational comedy, wasn't it? She observed how people were. It wasn't sanitized how people are. It was about how. The characters that exist in real life that's what she was observing and that's what yeah. came over and that's why we 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 you know love or hate those characters we we sort of identify with them because people were out there like that that's the point of course and i mean why do you think that the funniest man that's ever walked the planet is billy Connolly? because it's observational comedy it's about real people now you might find him offensive you know, I mean, as Billy would say, you know, you know, he wouldn't even get on the TV now. You know what I mean? But that's just uh, God willing, God willing, it's cyclical, as you say, Ash, and um, th that we'll get back to normality fairly soon. But because, but that look, it might be not it might right take to a while. Stay, yeah. I mean, you're getting yeah. to a point now in certain programs, some programs where they become like um, infomercials. They become like. Um, you know, sort of public service information films. So you'll get a, a storyline in some drama about a particular issue, and then you'll hear yeah. lots of little words that are mentioned that you feel as have come from a an advice leaflet or something. Do you know what I mean? Tell it's like, me, tell me oh. it's not true. Tell me it is not true that Coronation Street are now dealing with frigging climate change. Is this true? All of them are. All of the soaps are doing climate change. <laughs> All of them. Yeah, yeah. Imagine yeah. Jim McDonald and Liz talking about <laughs> fucking climate change. <laughs> I know it's it's it's, it's shoe awning in, isn't it? Shoe awning yeah. in. I mean, you I mean, you probably would have got away. You you would have got it, of course, if um if Spider and, and Emily were still in it. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That would have but, been something, yeah. you know. But it, but I tell it you, has I tell to be you, yeah. it has to be about the character, doesn't it? That's the point. Yeah. It has to be related to the character, you know. Yeah, bless her. I mean, I, I'd love to see Eileen come back. Eileen Darbyshire, she's a great character. Yeah, she's absolutely. a great character. I tell you what, yeah. she had some sense of humour, so she did. Yeah, Martin was saying that. Martin said she was tremendous fun to play alongside as Spider. That you know, he was yeah. he had a real laugh with her all the time. You know, but you were also in another soap opera that's still with us in the afternoons. You're apparently in twenty four episodes of Doctors. What's all that about? I don't remember that. Well, that that's wrong for a start. I did a year there, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, right. yeah. I did. Uh, what was that all about? They offered me a job. They said, "Would I come?" Well, uh, fair play to the casting director. Said, "Would you come down and play a surgeon? How do you fancy that?" And uh, and she's and I said, 
of course I do. I've never played a surgeon. That'd be lovely. And why Northern Irish surgeons grew up in the 70s, finest surgeons in the world, for God's sake. If you were going to be in a car crash, you wanted that that happen at the Royal Victoria Hospital next door to you. Because uh, they put people together again, and then of course um, uh, I was uh, I was to have an affair with the lovely, lovely good friend of mine, Natalie Robb, who plays somebody in Emmerdale Farm, uh, and I, I I'm ashamed to say I don't know, but so the beautiful Natalie was to play Bill's uh, lover, so I couldn't think of a better way to spend eight months or whatever it was, so off I went, and of course. Living in Cheshire, it was an easy commute, and uh, so most enjoyable, so it was. Plays Moira Barton in Emma. There you go. Uh, but before that, she was in Take the High Road many years ago. Many, 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 many moons ago. The Scottish soap opera. So, yeah, so you enjoyed your time on Doctors then, yeah? Yeah, it was money for old rope, mate. You know what I mean? You just went down and, you know, churned it out, and it's not earth-shattering stuff, but, uh, you know, it's... It was it was a nice where I just met Debbie and was starting to go out with Debbie. So um, a year's income was very nice. Thank you very much. You know, I mean, we're all actors. You know, we all need to earn bananas. That's why the last two years have been so much rubbish. Oh, did you end up playing an Irishman, or were you having to do a London accent? No, it was a it was a very sort of um, gentle, very sort of quite posh Northern Irish, quite quiet Northern Irish. So I just thought, well, there's no reason why you shouldn't be Northern Irish. We've got the best surgeons in the world. I'm, but, I, you know, I, I'm now of the belief that um, it's very hard to be cast as anyone different nowadays anyway, you know. Uh, but I was quite happy to play a Northern Irish surgeon, more than happy, as I did. And uh, I played a detective in, in Deep, a special we did. Um, why, why can't the undercover copper the undercover guy detective uh, you know why can't he be northern irish for god's sake they're the best police in the world you, you, you were a surgeon in the in doctor yeah yeah and what were you in the bill then what did you play in the bill oh i've done the bill about three times uh i've played a copper undercover copper once uh an ordinary copper a second time and then strangely enough the third time uh third then the third time i kidnapped somebody uh but you know the first talking about the industry the first time I did the bill was around about 1989. And do you know what? They were looking for a new permanent character. So by way of auditioning, they didn't have you down for an interview. They said, Charlie, come in and do these two episodes. And if we like the character, you're in. Isn't that good? It's a different, different world. Instead of saying, yeah. well, let's, let's do an interview. I said, no, let's write a fucking part and let's get Charlie down to play it. And if it works... So be it. We'll get him in as an undercover XRUC guy who obviously has to leave Northern Ireland, comes and works in the bill. And do you know what? About three weeks later, I got the part as a permanent member to join the bill. And then about two days later, Corrie came for me. <laughs> and I had to sit there and think, oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you've been you've been in all sorts of things uh, over the years. And um, obviously the, the thing, I mean, I was I'm going to say that Corrie in a way put you you know put you on the map in the sense of made you a household name but you had done other things that were big harry's game was big you know all these things were big things and you could, yeah. could have probably carried on and done lots of big things like that just reflect on how coronation street sort of pushed you in one particular direction and do you are you happy about that when you look back or would you have liked those years to have been more varied how do you how do you think about it 
I kind of look at it the way that I had a good time for 10 years. Uh, last year wasn't, um, wasn't ideal, but um, uh, life's too short really to, to look. I, I hindsight's a pain in the arse. Um, you know what I mean? I, I, I had a good character and I played the character well, I think. And, um, uh, and I enjoyed 10 out of those 11 years. And then I enjoyed the sort of seven or eight times I've been back. Uh, it's, it's infinitely nicer being famous than not famous. Um, you know, and while there are, are things that perhaps, I mean, you know, I wouldn't have got to play Frank and educating Rita, um, lots of other things I've done that I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't have, you know, I was a guest, I guest starred in lots of Dale and Pascoe's and maybe lots of different things because A, I'm good, but B, I was a, a name, you know, and in a respectable production, um, so I wouldn't have got I, I wouldn't have uh, got John Rebus for God's sake. You know what I mean? The, you know, there's bums on seats. People aren't stupid. You know, they get Charlie Lawson. Well, it's going to help sell tickets for Inspector Rebus. You know, that's just the way it is. So I don't have any regrets at all. You know, and I've done I've got an awful lot of free tickets out of it. I've got an awful lot of games of golf. I've been racing horse racing all over the bloody place because of it. Uh, I've been to the Moldy, uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's infinitely nicer being famous than not, um, uh, you know, for me anyway. And and by and large, the press leave me alone because they know I'll give them a slap if they don't. And I don't think, you know, often I talk about this on these uh, these um, interviews about people being typecast and, you know, some stars have, have been quite sort of uh, emotional actually about how a program completely changed them and meant that because of the character they weren't able to go and do other things and all the rest of it. I don't think, if I'm being honest, looking thinking about you and the kind of parts you played, I don't think you have been typecast actually. You, you've you've done a fair range of things, haven't you? Well, I've been lucky. I mean, I played a gay hotelier and uh, something. I've done, I've done, you know. But listen, that's I am now sixty one, mate, and uh, you know and. Uh, you know, I did, I was famous, I was in the firm and all sorts of stuff years ago. I'm too old to be going around whacking people now. You know, I get that for God's sake. Not not, not that I'm not capable of blah, blah, blah. But, you know, times move on now. So different parts come along, um, you know, and I was on, I was, I can't even remember the name of the thing I was going to do after Rebus. But then, the, the, and I started a new agency, the Markham Agency in London. And this bloody nonsense arrived, COVID, you know. And for an awful lot of people, it's been very difficult. And it's been difficult for me. I mean, you know, I haven't worked for four months, you know. And that's it, it, it's the same with everybody, but it's it's hard. But look, I am not going to be cast. Uh, why would you cast Charlie Lawson as something that 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 he's not remotely? I mean, you know, I can play stuff. And, but the reason why I played the gay hotelier was because it's bums on seats. Let's get you know, a face in to play this. He can do it. He's a bloody actor, for Christ's sake. He doesn't have to camp about like John Inman, for Christ's sake, you know. Uh, so opportunities are there, and I've been very lucky to have them. Uh, and long may it continue. I've no intention to bloody retire, and I can't afford to. <laughs> and, and talking about horses, you've got a lovely picture of horses behind you. Are they are they particular horses, or are they fictional are they, horses? Or, yeah. That's Desert Orchid, Arkle and Red Rum. And ah, it's the, of course, it's of course, yeah, we three kings, it's called. And then there's my three dogs there up when we were fishing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wouldn't have got to go fly fishing on the River Tay, for Christ's sake, a thousand no. pounds a day for nothing. You know no. what I mean? So it's yeah, infinitely yeah. nicer being famous than not. And even <laughs> a legend. 
<laughs> now, now the one thing I'd like when it comes back to Jim McDonald and Corey is it would, you know, it would be nice for the characters as in the family as a family to reappear at some point. Whether whatever happens to them, I don't know. But it would be, you know, what's annoyed me when you've come back or Nick's come back a couple of times or whatever is we've not seen the four of them together for such yeah. a long time. And I feel as though some kind of reuniting. I know that Liz's, you know, um, uh, Liz's character's gone now. Ben's gone, and I don't know whether she would come back or not. But it would be nice for them to reunite at some point. I mean, do you think that A, do you think that's on the cards? And B, would you like that to happen? Uh, I would love it to happen. Um, uh, my my gut instinct is that in these days that we live in now, actually, I think it would be very hard. And it's not a criticism. I'm just not sure the writers would know what to do with Jim McDonald. I think the ambience of the show has changed completely. Uh, I, I'm not sure they would know what to do with him. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, he's, a, he's an old beast from a different age. He wouldn't, he, his, his conception of political correctness would, would be non-existent. You know, I, I'm not sure how he would fit into to Corey. I think the only way he would come back would be, I'm guessing, um, would be on a short term with Steve in trouble or something like I would love for them all to come back uh, together. Um, of course I wouldn't. I'd love to work with Bev again. If you're asking me, to, you know, I would honestly say that the, the next time may be the last because I think, um, you know, if you're going to bring him back, you want to bring him back. There's only there's only one of two ways. Well, there's only two ways he can come back and he can be the gym of old. Is that going to fit? Is that going to fit with whatever? I'd love it, you know. Uh, or is he going to come back and the storyline is going to be his demise? Now, I say that simply because I know that that was a plan a couple of years ago and Ian stuck up for me. He's a good guy, actually. It's very very rare you have a relationship with a producer you're not working with, you know, but I speak to him once a year. So I would love it to happen, but I don't think it will. I, I just don't think, I, I'm not sure where, he, where you'd put him in the street, which is sad. Back, you're very proud, I'm sure, to have played one of the, the major characters because you were a major character of Coronation Street in its history, definitely. Yeah, desperately proud of it. 11 years and then back seven or eight times. You know, uh, very few of us get a chance to, to do that in, in our industry. Take it from me. So, um, you know, thanks, everybody, for, for watching me. And, and uh, I can't thank you enough for the support I've had through the Rebus thing and uh, all the nice stuff that goes on social media. And um, uh, thank you very much to everybody. Reading it all in your book when it comes out eventually. Yes, uh, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll, it, 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 you'll know about it. <laughs> I'm sure we will thank you very much indeed um, Charlie for talking to us it's been lovely thank you been a pleasure mate been a pleasure Charlie Lawson talking to Ashley and Charlie's not the only street legend we're hearing from over the festive period here on Distinct Nostalgia up next is Sean Wilson who played Martin Platt for many years Bill Roach sat down there and, you know, Julie Goodyear and Gene Alexander. 
Betty Driver, Barbara Knox. And you just go on and on and on. And they're all there in front of you, all drinking coffee. <laughs> but, you know, it's a lovely, friendly arm that comes around anybody new. Because, and I always kept to this myself, Thelma Barlow said to me, Sean, we've all been you. We know how it feels. And don't forget, there's a treasure trove of interviews on Distinct Nostalgia for you to enjoy at any time. Nearly 200 hours of reunions and interviews, as well as original drama and comedy. Not to mention our big Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz. Just look up Distinct Nostalgia wherever you get your podcasts and search through our archive. Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM, and if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you. Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast.